I V M. A terrorist attack on a CRPF convoy in Kashmir yesterday has killed 40 CRPF personnel. There's been massive clamor on social media and in the media in India, calling for retribution, revenge, and even war. So far, what we've heard from the government of India is that it's going to ensure that Pakistan pays a heavy price. It's also said that Pakistan's most favored nation status with India stands revoked, and the effort is going to be to ensure diplomatic isolation. We've seen reactions come in from countries like Israel and the U.S. The U.S. has issued a specific statement on Pakistan, um, saying that Pakistan should stop its support for these terrorist organizations. But given that this is not the first attack, although it's a very deadly attack and one of the worst in Kashmir, um, but this is likely to continue. So, what the government has announced so far is that appropriate, and what else, or what else could the government be doing? What else should India be doing to tackle this threat, which has been an ongoing threat for a very long time, and doesn't seem like it's going to be abating anytime soon? Um, so, to discuss this um, today, I had conversations with Akshila. Um, there's me, Manoj, with Pranay and Nitin. Um, so, Pranay, what should the government be doing? If you imagine a sort of an escalation ladder, there are three levels that arise. Okay, one is something called the subconventional uh, warfare level, which is what Pakistan uses, which is what Pakistan has used in this case. Okay, so be- above the subconventional warfare level is this single-sided conventional warfare level, which is like the Kargil type of situation where Pakistan uses not just uh, LET, JEM, but its uniformed forces on Indian territory, whereas India only responds on its own territory. So in that sense, it is less than its India's conventional threshold level. And then the third level will be a full two-sided conventional warfare where both the armies are uh, fighting against each other. Right. Mm. So these are three levels. Now, what has been India's strategy? Mm-hmm. If you see what happened with URI, right? Mm-hmm. That was one way where India was trying to build, get its conventional threshold down, mm-hmm. okay, in order to reduce this single-sided conventional uh, warfare level that we were talking about, and also reduce the space for the subconventional warfare, which was and which is being used by Pakistan now. Right, so that was India's strategy. Whereas on Pakistan's side, if you see its all its strategy, always is to increase that subconventional warfare level uh, uh, operation at that level, right? Because there it can easily say that we were not involved, some other people were involved, we have no control and things like that. So these are the two opposing strategies which are at play here. Mm. And what we call what happened at uh, Uri uh, and the surgical strikes after that was something called the operational conventional retaliation, right? So it is conventional warfare, but it is only at an operational level and not uh, at a massive army to army level conflict. In this sort of amongst these different levels, and given what's happening right now, which is what you said that Pakistan is going to operate at a subconventional warfare level, um, for us, is it? Does raising the stakes going to war, um, a full-scale war, military conflict, whether it's, whether it's even a limited conflict, which is what bulk much of the discussion since the last since last night has been. Hmm. Um, media channels in India have been declaring this as an act of war, um, calling for a strong response. Um, there's been periodic terrorist attacks over the last decade and a half, and even more. And as the intensity has sort of increased. Um, and as the Indian government has sort of responded to them but with different responses, sometimes mm. it's diplomatic, sometimes, like you said, in, in the case of the surgical strikes, um, there was a forced response. The threshold of pu- the public threshold of mm. acceptance of some of these attacks and of uh, muted responses or sort of, you know, uh, 
not publicly visible responses has sort of dwindled. Hmm. Uh, patience has dwindled in the public. Hmm. Um, and therefore, we have this greater clamor for war every time something like this happens. Hmm. Um, is conflict at that level even feasible from an Indian point of view? I mean, what are our objectives when we go to war? I mean, Nitin, how do we do this? I think the question of war is <coughs> way too serious and I think it should not be trivialized in this way. Uh, I think the idea that, you know, there's a terrorist attack and we need to go to war uh, with Pakistan is a very infantile, almost juvenile way of looking at it. As I've always said, uh, you know, in a game of chess, you're trying to take down the king. You're trying to do a checkmate of the king. You're not trying to kill as many pawns as possible. Right? Mm-hmm. Going to a war in that sense in the India-Pakistan context is like you're trying to kill pawns. Yeah. Uh, and that's not what we are. I mean, if you look at it, uh, look at a national objective. We need to become a developed country as soon as possible. We need to take our developmental cho- choices, make them rightly, figure out our demographic challenges, figure out our job challenges, social harmony challenges, and get rich quick. Right? That's That should be our objective, and that really is our objective. And we are getting there. So we should look at all of these uh, provocations from Pakistan as potential digressions from our success path. So every minute we spend on doing something else, we are basically losing an opportunity to uh, get rich and become a developed country and solve our developmental challenges as quickly as possible. Having said that, it's important to be able to deal with this properly because if you don't deal with it properly, it can become a bigger problem tomorrow. So you want to contain the level of uh, problems Pakistan is creating for you. And over the longer term, you want to diminish and uh, destroy the kind of uh, problems that Pakistan is creating for you, right? The problem, the the issue or our objective should not be to get into a situation where Pakistan becomes a bigger problem and looms larger than it it is already, right? So that should be the overall political thing. So you look at political objectives of this. War is politics by other means, Hmm. right? So when you talk about war, when you talk about conflict, when you're talking about surgical strikes, whatever kind of conflict, you're looking at what is the political objective it's trying to achieve. Hmm. Now, in this case, a terrorist attack on Indian soil by a Pakistani proxy achieved a certain political objective for the Pakistanis. Hmm. Now, we have to try and decipher what those political objectives are. I would think uh, that one one easy thing which comes to mind is that you're trying to create uh, disruptions, you're trying to create confusions and doubt ahead of an Indian uh, election mm-hmm. and that might uh, destabilize India and uh, create a, a, a down spiral of politics. That could be one. Or the motivations could be that they are, they are too engrossed in uh, problems in Afghanistan and in their domestic world and they want to distract attention from their other problems mm-hmm. and focus on an India-Pakistan narrative. Mm-hmm. Or it could be a retaliation uh, for the chest thumping that India did. Correct. Don't so know. it could yeah. be one of those, right? Mm-hmm. So there are various mm-hmm. political objectives it's trying to solve, right? Now that's one question. The second question is, therefore, related to it is, what would be our political objectives, mm-hmm. right? If your political objective in this case is to go and show to the world that Pakistan is a supporter of terrorism and needs to be uh, uh, coerced into dropping the support. We don't have to do a lot. We don't have to do a surgical strike. I think there is already a, almost a universal consensus in the international community, including with China. Yes. Although China selectively uh, absolves Pakistan of uh, its support for terrorism. Yeah. Overall, there is a general consensus that Pakistan is a problem. Terrorism is a problem which comes from Pakistan and that has to be solved. Hmm. And this attack can be used in that way to coerce Pakistan even more. Yeah, particularly given that Jaish e Mohammed has uh, claimed responsibility. Claim, claim responsibility. The other political objective here might be that you want to uh, show to the Pakistani armed forces and to your public that you have actually 
you, you have retaliated in yeah. a form that you don't you, you don't invite more of these things. Hmm. Now that again is a question of can you do this in time and space? Hmm. You don't need to do it tomorrow morning. Hmm. Uh, you don't need to do it exactly there. Hmm. So you can spread this in time and space, hmm. and you do it in such a way that. you limit the conflict rather than trigger it more right mm. and i think pranay was talking about chest thumping mm. so if you do something and mm. then you do a lot of chest thumping and say look we got you and we you know we do a war dance around the whole thing mm. you're going to provoke those guys to do even more mm. and then they might do a, even a bigger kind of an attack because you you've been doing chest thumping mm. i think in that sense the movie woody i have not seen the movie i'm not a fan of movies but you know making a movie which is seen in pakistan which uh, rubs their noses into the ground will have psychological effects Mm. which might coerce them or encourage them to do acts like this right? mm. we don't know whether they have done it because of the movie but there is a reason there yeah. is a cause similarly if we go and do another surgical strike i think uh, a strike like what was done in uri is probably one of the responses we can do mm. right but post that you know chest thumping and showing that you know we rubbed your nose to the ground mm. all of that creates a hysteria that is against india's interests mm. you know they might enjoy the hysteria right i mean if if you are a pakistani uh, you know uh, militant or a jihadist pakistani or a member of the military jihadi complex you love this hysteria you want the whole of pakistan to be in this hysteria so that they support you hmm. in the kind of shenanigans that you're doing hmm. i don't think that's the case with us yeah we don't live on hysteria right so i think the uh, the psychological and political effects need to be managed more than the kinetic effects hmm. so so i get what you're saying and Uh, those different political objectives need to be taken sort of taken into account from an indian point of view but move let's just move from that to capacity uh, because a lot of the conversation is uh, do we have the capacity to do this do things? we have the capacity i think we should yeah. not be in any doubt i think yeah. we have a range of capacities all the way from minor minor pin pricks to ma- massive action uh, these capacities exist they are finely uh, planned i'm sure there are like half dozen options which you know it, it's not even that they open a meeting and saying abhi kya kare hmm. right i'm sure they have half dozen options which they can use hmm. and the question is which of these options do we want to use now hmm. and that basically is a political calculation of what are the effects the political effects of those options hmm. so we don't need to i think the media hysteria paints us as these innocent uh, optionless characters hmm. who are wronged by the other side and hmm. we have no way to respond i mean we've been uh, ability to, our ability to respond to this has existed for the last 30 40 years hmm. it's not new and you know, even in the last few years this, this these capacities have been honed and uh, perfected so i don't think we need to worry about lack of options hmm. and there's no need to spell these out publicly also yeah. it's not like you want the minister of defense to say that i have option 1 surgical strike option 2 limited uh, conventional attack option 3 we will cross the loc option 4 drone attacks or you know they don't i'm just pulling these numbers out of i mean these options no, these out sound, of the hat these sound like these sound like perfectly some of, one of those editorial meetings that i would have attended where these options are listed out out of the hat and pulled out as oh these are our options yeah these are our options mm. so but th- there are good options i yeah. mean we know from talking to people that there are options then there are options are well planned well thought through uh, for for different contingencies for different geographies for different uh, international environments i think these options are well thought through hmm. we don't need to worry about that the question is a political judgment of which is the right thing what is the right thing to do at this time hmm. and i think one big political objective that we have to be worried about is just that situation in kashmir right not the external part which uh, and the fact that we have to prevent uh, there was 250 kg or 300 yeah. kg explosives the fact that they were in kashmir and someone 
um, uh, either got it from Pakistan or collected it there, amassed it somewhere, means that we need to do something to prevent this in the future. And uh, that is one big political objective we have to achieve. And how do we solve the political issues in Kashmir? Is a yeah, that's that's the next thing that I was getting at. I mean, mm. given the current sort of political climate in Kashmir, uh, where essentially there is a breakdown. Uh, how much of a role does that play in supporting, facilitating some of these other aims that are going on? Yeah, I think let's first uh, uh, come to this question of why is Pakistan being talked about, mm-hmm. right? Because people say, oh, you've jumped to a conclusion yeah. and why do you blame Pakistan? Because it's this guy who's a, uh, some Kashmiri guy who's actually pulled mm-hmm. this out, pulled this off. See, the sheer way the, the terrorist attack has been conducted requires a, apart from the guy who actually did it, it yeah. requires you to have explosives. You need to uh, fit these explosives into a weapon. You need explosive effort, uh, fit these explosives into a vehicle. You need explosive expo- experts to build these uh, mechanisms. These are very uh, uh, specialized uh, arts, which the Pakistanis are, or the, uh, the terrorist masters are not going to you know share it with uh, all and sundry. Yeah. So the bomb maker, the way the bomb was assembled, the bomb, the thing which was in, in, uh, inserted into the vehicle and carried off points to the fact that there is a strong backing from a terrorist group. Mm-hmm. And Jaish e Mohammed already has taken uh, responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. Now, once Jaish e Mohammed takes up responsibility for that, you know that it's the backing of the Pakistani military jihadi complex. Yeah. Anybody who says that the Jaish e Mohammed is an independent terrorist organization operating independently in a non-partisan manner is smoking something strong. Or right? probably based in Beijing. <laughs> and both, right? Yeah. Or both. So, so it's it's not that uh, the the Pakistani hands are clean in this, right? Yeah. There is clearly a Pakistani involvement in this. Uh, uh, at what level and to what purpose we don't know yet, but there is a hand in this. So mm. that is that is as far as the Pakistani hand is concerned. Mm. Now, the domestic flux in Kashmir has been ongoing for the last two three years. Mm. Uh, if you want to take a step back, maybe it's been going on for the last eight years. Uh, in some way. So, the flux is uh, something which I think, uh, the political flux is something which we know. Hmm. There are points where it gets a little worse and there are points where it's a little better, but the flux is there. Hmm. So, I wouldn't put uh, too much of a point on the flux in, political flux in Kashmir as some kind of a uh, factor in this. Although the Pakistanis traditionally have seen a political flux in Kashmir as an opportunity for them to act, hmm. right? And they've always been wrong. Hmm. As one of the things is that they don't learn from their mistakes, right? Hmm. In the sense that no matter how the political scene in Jammu and Kashmir goes, a terrorist attack or an external uh, uh, external trigger to conflict in Jammu and Kashmir does not change the political situation as far as Pakistan is concerned. Hmm. Right? It might change the security situation on the ground. Hmm. It might change the India-Pakistan relationship. Hmm. But it's not going to change the sim- issue which the Pakistanis are most interested in, which is Jammu and Kashmir, yeah. right? acquiring the state. It's not going to change. So it's some, one of those things which I suppose they're addicted to a uh, conflict which appears on these things. So they keep repeating what they've been doing. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, because that's, uh, that's one of the things that's been sort of constantly discussed in terms of uh, what's happened over the last two or three years in Kashmir and how that... Uh, affects, uh, you know, how there's been an increase in militancy. I mean, obviously, we had the Burhanwani case and everything thereafter. Um, And then, obviously, the political sort of breakdown between the BJP and the PDP. Um, So, the last sort of bit that I wanted to get get on with, we've spoken about India's capacities, we've spoken about Pakistan's objectives, we've spoken about what India can do uh, across a range of different things. The last thing that I wanted to focus on, because so much of the conversation over the last 24 hours has been about... uh, 
revenge, retaliation, and therefore the public sentiment in India being extremely volatile. Um, and given that we are heading into elections, it creates different imperatives. How does one manage the public sentiment at a point like this? I think the government of the day is eminently capable of managing the public sentiment. I think there's nobody uh, in the country who doubts uh, Narendra Modi's uh, credentials as far as being firm on terrorism or firm on Pakistan is concerned. Hmm. I don't think there's anybody uh, in the political opposition who will try to make political capital out of this. If if you look at it today, both Manmohan Singh and Rahul Gandhi have said, we stand with the government. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't think there is a political constituency that uh, will let the hysteria grow. Hmm. right? Because I think there is some amount of... Uh, uh, rallying of public opinion towards being mature hmm. and to, towards a mature reaction hmm. right now the television channels might hyperventilate but i think the strategic community might uh, you know is likely to be more uh, balanced and mature in its response what we do know is there will be a response hmm. when and how it will take place we don't know but hmm. there will be a response i i'm sure that there will be a security response hmm. it's not just going to be diplomacy Knowing this government and the way they've been acting, there's going to be a response. Now, all we should try to be uh, careful about is don't make this into another chest-thumping, yeah. war dance kind of a thing, where through your response, you create, you sow the seeds for a next uh, provocation. Yeah. You don't want, you want to be uh, acting enough to deter them from doing further attacks in the next few uh, months or years, but not so much that it, you know, it provokes the opposite. Yeah. You know, there is a law of diminishing returns which comes in. Yeah. I think it's to play that carefully. Yeah. I think deterring is the objective. Proving to our people that we have deterred them is yeah. not the objective, right? As long as we are able to Yeah, the, the effect will invariably prove that you've done it. If yeah. there is deterrence and there are no more strikes, it actually proves that you've been successful. Uh, and which India has managed, right? This Even after 2611. For yeah. example, after 2611, there was a lot of clamor for a cross-border... Uh, military attack yes. right? that we that to punitive strikes against the Pakistani territory get the army to cross the line of control or the border to attack Pakistan that was very much talked about and yet the government of the day was able to uh, contain those demands and uh, respond with restraint yeah. I think that restraint I would call it as strategic aggressive restraint hmm. by restraining yourself during that point hmm. You created a situation where Pakistanis couldn't go to the United States and say, look, uh, we can't work with you in uh, Afghanistan because our eastern borders are under threat. Hmm. Right? So Pakistan had to play ball with the United States. They had to go after the uh, terrorists in their own soil uh, to, because they were coerced by the Americans. Yeah. Right? So it And they paid a huge cost for that. Yeah. So I think the strategic aggressive restraint is, was a good move at that time. Similarly... Yeah. I think there needs to be restrained aggression probably in this case yeah. where you need to restrain yourself in a way that you don't psychologically create an environment which invites another response yeah. but enough to make the point. Okay. The last sort of point that I had in my mind was that um, given the sort of broader regional context with the US potentially sort of pulling out of Afghanistan, um, the Taliban sort of getting a formal foothold in the Afghan leadership system, um, none of this has actually happened so far but Potentially, this is what could happen. Um, are we looking at more trouble in Kashmir with the Taliban sort of getting normalized? 
see uh, it depends on pakistan's own capabilities right so now there's a divided house in this on yeah. this issue I think we've discussed this in a previous episode where uh, i think nitin and general menon were of the view that Af- pakistan will be more embroiled in afghanistan and whatever happens there we can manage it so yeah. it's not something to be worried about there is another view in the office which uh, which mr arni and i sort of think that uh, this would actually increase pakistan's capability to do things in kashmir hmm. right Th- there those places within afghanistan can become again hotspots for uh, launching new terrorist outfits yeah. new ways of training and get them off to kashmir right so i think we are looking at a situation where they will try to exploit this as mm. a place and remember like uh, even the recent uh, this terrorist was the suicide bomber rather he actually said that uh, taliban being defeated uh, taliban defeating the us was one of the inspiration was inspiration right? attack, yeah. so I, i don't know whether there will be a material support but there will because terrorism is theater a success in one theater might be commutative right it might help another yeah. other theaters as well if you look at how to protect yourself from this i agree with the view that uh, to the extent that pakistan is able to uh, focus all its energies on the eastern border mm. let's say the afghan border is peaceful and they can focus on the eastern border they will make uh, trouble for us in jammu and kashmir but our defense against that is i think there's a three uh, three tier structure right at the most fundamental level you need social harmony in the country across india where you know so th- there are no uh, suspicions and there are no tensions and divides across the country you try to heal and manage them as much as you can hmm. the second level is you want to have a stable uh, political uh, reconciliation in jammu and kashmir between the various communities and between the various uh, fault lines which exist in the state of jammu and kashmir right so you try and get back to a situation where electoral politics and democracy uh, takes place and then for, uh, eventually it gives place to de- uh, better governance and uh, development the third tier is what do you do along the line of control and the border mm. right and i think donald trump's wall analogy is good i mean he's building a real wall but if you look at it a wall is an analogy both a physical as well as a metaphorical concept you just need to insulate yourself from the uh, ability of pakistan to push its problems across to our side mm. you can insulate yourself physically through uh, fences and walls you can insulate yourself through um uh, mechanisms uh, diplomatic mechanisms mm. you can ensure di- insulate yourself through economic mechanisms there are various ways you can insulate yeah. ultimately what you want to do is you want to insulate yourself and that's very much a defensive game mm. and i think that game can be played yeah. now part of that defensive game will also be uh, you know where you uh, carry out surgical strikes or where yeah. you do punitive strikes while overall being in a situation to say that look overwhelming uh, military capacity that a conventional war is not going to be on in anybody's interest yeah. so you, this is a way to go so i think we should be able to manage the situation mm. one day and the next day and live day by day and and you know you day by day for a million years is a very long time yeah no oh, absolutely and we'll end with that so thank you so much for joining us and listening to us and uh, if you have any thoughts uh, any feedback please do share them with us thank you guys thanks guys, thanks.